Good morning. So my name is uh, Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. You'll notice I don't have a name tag on, and that is a constant battle in my life, trying to find that little tiny name tag. Uh, but I'm Andrew, uh, and it's wonderful to be here. Uh, I got the, a chance to, to, to greet some of you this morning uh, and to chat with some of you. Um, and when I mentioned that I, that I had the privilege of sharing the word with you this morning, a few of you were excited. Now, I, I know that you're excited because if I'm preaching, it means you get to doze off for the next 40 to 50 minutes. Just, uh, no, but in, in all reality, it is a, an honor and a privilege to be able to share, uh, to share God's word with you. I get the chance to kind of wrap up the series that we've been in for the last uh, five weeks. This will be the, the final series in our 500 Neighbors series. The, the goal of this series has been uh, over the course of the last, week's week, last six weeks to become as a community, as a congregation, better neighbors. Wherever, wherever you might live, maybe you live right here in Zealand, maybe you live uh, in Holland and the, and the neighboring towns uh, uh, and, and cities, but uh, the goal over the last six weeks has been a challenge for all of us to become better neighbors, to take the most important commandment that Jesus says, to love God and to love others as yourself, to take that commandment seriously. Now, it's so important for us to know right at the outset, I've been saying this the last few weeks, is that uh, the last six weeks we've been offering challenges every week for us to respond in action. And it's so important for us to know that as we respond in actions and as our behaviors change and shift, as we respond to these challenges, it's important for us to know that these actions do not save us. They're not salvific. They don't bring us any uh, closer to God. They don't make God love us any more than he already does. The price for our salvation has already been paid. The, the, the actions that we respond with are only a natural outpouring of God's grace and love in and through us. It's important for us to know that. Now, the first week of the series, we were challenged to, to choose three people each week to bless and to bless could be financially, uh, that could be with your time, that could be with your, with, your, with your efforts, with your presence. But we were challenged to, to choose three people each week to bless them. And then the next week we were challenged to find three people each week to share a meal with. Because sharing a meal with, uh, with others means uh, a space for, for grace and reconciliation. It means a space to have tough conversations. Uh, Jesus met sinners at the table he shared meals with the broken. He shared meals with the lost. He shares meals with us when we celebrate communion together. Jesus meets us at the table, and our challenge was to meet others at the table. And that can be a little chaotic, and that can be uh, pretty challenging, uh, but it is a life-giving thing that God's people have been called to from the beginning of creation. And then the next week, we were challenged... <clears throat> We were challenged to learn about Jesus, and, and not the Jesus that culture has kind of created, uh, but the, the, the Jesus of the Bible, the one who we are celebrating in anticipation in the Christmas season, the one who, who came and took on flesh and who lived a life of suffering and service, giving himself to the very end when he gave himself completely to learn that Jesus and to share him with others. And then last week, we were challenged to quiet the noise in our lives, to just slow down for a moment to hear and listen to the still, quiet voice of the Lord. Now, for many, that means social media. That means uh, you know, turning off your cell phones. Maybe for, for us in this room, it's uh, turning, turning off sports. It means, uh, it means spending some time uh, at home or with family, just, just listening. And today... 
Our challenge is to know and to live into the reality that as followers of Christ, in our identity, to the core of our being, we are a sent people. And we know that in part because, uh, because in this season, we're, we're celebrating in anticipation uh, the one who was sent for us, Jesus Christ. And so as we are image bearers of the Father, as we are image bearers of God, and as we are called to, uh, to, 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 uh, to, to mirror Christ in our lives, we are inherently a sent people, all of us. And so we're going to dive into what that means today, but I wanted to start with just uh, telling a story about, uh, about a, construction prog- uh, pro- uh, a construction project that happened back in the 70s. Uh, this, was, this is called the, the, the Teton Dam. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Uh, it was in a kind of a smaller town on, a, on, a, on the Teton River, um, and, and construction for this dam began in, uh, in 1973. And it took a few years to complete. Now, they wanted to make this thing so, uh, so that they can control some of the floods that they were having in the area. Uh, and they could control irrigation for uh, the, the farmers that were in the area. This was in Idaho. Now, in order to make this dam happen, they kind of accelerated the construction prog- process a little bit. They, they cut a few corners here and there. They started to compromise uh, on, on some of the safety, the checks and balances that were in place to make sure uh, that this thing would be built, uh, built well and built to last, built to be sustainable. This, this dam was uh, over 3,000 feet wide. It was 300 feet tall. And so in November 1975, they began to fill the reservoir behind the dam. They filled it and filled it. But what they didn't see was water started to penetrate the ground beneath the wall. And so uh, as they were filling it, a few springs had kind of popped down, uh, popped out of the ground downstream, which is, which is to be expected for this type of construction pro- or project. Um, but these springs kind of started to, to get bigger. Now, on June 5, 1976, somebody noticed that the wall looked a little wet in a few places. You see, what they didn't know was not only was the water deteriorating the ground beneath the dam, but it was also penetrating into the wall itself just started seeping through, and there were a few wet spots on the other side of the wall. And so the construction guys, they got together, they started bringing out equipment to patch the cracks that were formed, and that's to be expected in a new construction. Things are settling, all that kind of stuff is happening, that's fine, but the wet spots were getting bigger and bigger. Soon the cracks spread into holes, and the the holes began to expand, and so they had a plan to, to fill these cracks, but the holes ended up getting too big. Now, Part of this was because of, the, uh, because of the corners they cut in the process. They accelerated the, the building process. And then, as they were filling the reservoir behind the wall uh, to, to combat some of the, uh, the issues with the spring season that was coming up, they accelerated the filling process as well. This hole began to get bigger. These holes got bigger and bigger until they were the size of a swimming pool. And so they evacuated the neighboring cities. And now the cracks in the holes began to develop, and the crest of the, of the dam gave way. And two million square or cubic feet of water filled with sediment and rocks and dirt and mud came just pouring through this wall, killing 11 people and, and drowning some 13,000 cattle. It submerged three of the cities that were nearby that they had evacuated. Now, the reason I'm sharing this story, and I actually have a picture. I think there might be a picture uh, of, of this wall. Here it is. So uh, you can see the, 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 wall, the holes in the dam began to, to grow. And on one side, it, it caved in, and the water started rushing out. Now, the reason that I share this sort of uh, tragic and chaotic episode 
was because in our story today of 1 Samuel, the place that God's people are in is right here. You see, uh, this is the story that happened uh, long after Moses and Abraham. God's people are in the promised land, and you think things are going to go well, uh, but, but God's people started to compromise here and there. And cracks started to form within the community. Holes started to build and, and, and grow. And, uh, and, and the structure of God's people started to deteriorate just a little bit until the whole thing collapsed. We pick up the story in Scripture when Israel is in one of its darkest hours. These compromises that God's people made led to just this spiraling collapse into destruction and death. In war, lust, pursuit of prosperity, pursuit of other gods, and worship of self. The dam had broken, the floodwaters had come, and God's people were drowning. And so he sends a boy. Samuel was born to a woman named Hannah who was barren most of her life. Now, Hannah's husband had a second wife, and this other wife gave her husband children, gave her husband sons, and she would rub it in Hannah's face, teasing her with it, and year after year went by, and Hannah had no children, and so she cried out to the Lord, and you know what her husband said? Am I not better than 10 sons to you when her, or when, when his wife fell into depression because of this. Now, uh, husbands, I just want to say, I, I've been married for, for not even quite five years yet, but I'm pretty sure uh, that is not what I would say if, if my wife were struggling with depression. Hey, I am all you ever need. <laughs> but Samuel was born after God heard the cries of Hannah. And out of gratitude, Hannah gave her son into service of the Lord. And so uh, the priest named Eli began to raise and train Samuel kind of as, as his own. And Samuel was going to be this instrumental tool that God used to transition his people from being ruled by judges, prophets, and priests. God was going to use Samuel to, to build a united kingdom under a king. Samuel was used in this transition. Now, the Bible gives this summary of his life, and the summary is what we're going to be reading today. It's, it's a long passage, so I just I want you to bear with me uh, as, we, as we read through it. Um, it's going to be up on the screen up here. I'm reading out of the ESV at, the, at the, the pews and the seats. You'll have the NIV, but just try to stay awake for, for all of this. It's, it's a long one. So here we are, 1 Samuel Chapter 7, verse 15. If you hit 2 Samuel, you've gone a little bit too far. So follow along with me. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, Mitzvah. And he judged Israel in those places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. And chapter 8 just starts, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. There it is. 
There's a passage for us this morning. So I'm glad you guys were able to stay awake for that. It was a long, long, long passage. Uh, but so we have this short summary of, of, of a man named Samuel. Uh, and, and there's two books of our Bible that are, that are named First and Second Samuel. I mean, they used to be one book. We've kind of divided them into two different uh, literary pieces. Uh, but there's a huge amount that's, that's, that's named after Samuel. And the summary of his life just says, uh, he judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit every year, Bethel, Gilgal, Mitzvah. And he went home. He judged Israel in those places. That was his whole life. Now, when he was younger, when he first kind of came into leadership over Israel, over the tribes of the southern, uh, the, the southern part of, of God's people, uh, there were these battles and, and, and wars that were waged, and, and, and his people were in chaos, and, and the presence of the Lord was actually kind of lost, and they had to kind of go and get it, and, 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 and he was kind of in charge of these battles. But then when the Bible gives a summary of his life, it just says he went from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah and back home. All the days of his life, in his 20s, as God's people were spiraling into chaos, he was going from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah back home. In his 30s, as God's people were still uh, falling into sin and destruction and death, he was going from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah and then home. Why, why is that important? It's, it's really easy just to like read right through this summary. We get a brief introduction of, of his mom and who Hannah was and who Samuel was growing up. But then all of a sudden, Samuel's old. It's like we miss all of his life. And when he's old, he makes his sons judges over Israel. Now, if you think about the illustration, the image, that, that, that wall that had caved in and the floodwaters came, this is where God's people are. Now, you'd think an all-powerful God would see some of the cracks, would see some of the holes, would see some of the, uh, some of the places where the wall was beginning to deteriorate, and you'd think he would, he would act then to keep his people from, from falling, from, from plunging themselves into the floodwaters. But our God doesn't do that. But then you, you think, okay, well, an all-powerful God, if the, if the wall has broken and, and his people are, are, are falling into destruction and are running away from him and, are, and are, are just falling into death, are giving themselves to destruction, giving themselves to sin, you'd think at that point then an all-powerful God would say, okay, I'm going to perform some massive miracle and, and hearts are going to be instantaneously transformed and I'm going to pull my people back to me, kind of spreading the, the waters of the flood, much like Moses in the Red Sea, and drawing his people back to him. And that's not what God does. He sends a boy named Samuel, whose entire ministry, all the years of his life, can be summarized as going on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah and then back home, judging in each of those cities along the way, walking the same roads in his 20s, meeting the same people in his 30s, visiting the same little towns in his 40s, 50s, 60s, all of his life as God's people are drowning in the floodwaters. When God sees the, the wall has been broken because his people have chosen disobedience and other gods, he sends Samuel, who spends his life in slow and steady faithfulness right where he was. The reason this is so important for us this morning is because sometimes when we think of what it means to be sent, 
we can't help but thinking of the people who are sent thousands of miles away into, into neighboring countries, across large bodies of water. We can't help but think if somebody is sent, that must mean that they're giving up everything at home and they're leaving somewhere else. But this, this time of transition for God's people, as his people are drowning in the floodwaters, what God does is he sends a boy who lives a mundane, boring life for the majority of his life because God sent Samuel right where he was. This is so important because God does call some of us to be sent thousands of miles away from home. He does call some of us to give up everything, to leave our hometown, to leave our home, to leave our family, to leave our friends, to leave our comforts, to leave our, uh, our joys, to leave everything we've ever known. He does call some of us to that. But what we see in the life of Samuel is he also calls some of us to give up everything right where we are. My question for us this morning, Samuel's circuit in slow and steady faithfulness was Bethel, Gilgal, Mitzvah, home. That might not be your circuit. I bet it's not. It's thousands of miles away. Those towns don't exist anymore. But maybe your circuit is coffee shop, work, school event, home. Maybe your coffee shop is, or maybe your coffee shop, maybe your circuit is coffee shop, DeBoer's Bakery, mm-hmm. What's the, what's the restaurant downtown Zealand? Is it community restaurant? Farmhouse is, yeah, that's, that's another one. So maybe, maybe your circuit is coffee shop, DeBoer's, farmhouse, home. And that's a wonderful circuit. But my point is that Samuel, instead of some massive miracle, which God could certainly do, he calls Samuel to quiet, slow, and steady faithfulness, being sent exactly where he was. And our challenge this morning is to consider that each of us is sent exactly where we are. Because some of us in the room might be thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not adventurous. Uh, that God has not called me to some wild, fantastical adventure uh, that, that's you know, scaling mountains and, and meeting a new people in different countries. Maybe he's not called you to that, but God has called you to be sent here. And you might be thinking, you know, Andrew, like my days of, of being sent, those are, uh, those are behind me. Now I'm kind of, I'm here, I'm comfortable. This is where I want to be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here and then I'll be in Florida for half the year and then I'll be back here again. And that's kind of like, so maybe that's your circuit. And there are people uh, that you meet, whether it is DeBoer's Bakery, whether it is uh, where, where you volunteer, whether it is in the, in the seats next to you. There are people, whether you, uh, maybe you do go down south for when it does eventually get cold, uh, to stay warm. Maybe there are people there who the only chance that they have to see an expression of Jesus Christ is that God has sent you right there, right in that moment. It's also possible that you have been sent expressly for your family. But what would it mean? What would it change in our lives if we, if we really grasped that we are sent exactly where we are in our families, in our places of work, in where we worship, in our friend groups, uh, in, in the restaurants that we visit. Maybe you see the same cashier at Family Fair every single week. 
Or maybe you have the same waitress or waiter uh, at, at that farmhouse or, uh, or a number of restaurants in the area every single week. What would it look like for you to really be sent right there? Because I don't want us to leave the, uh, the, the, the sort of heroic stories for, for people who God has called thousands of miles away from home. I want us to, uh, to celebrate and bring beauty and glory to God in the mundane of everyday life. Now, Ellen and I have been married for about four and a half years. Uh, and at our reception, the, the DJ held what was called the, uh, uh, like the generations dance. And if you don't know what that is, basically everybody who's married gets on the dance floor uh, and you, you slow dance while the, the, the DJ starts calling out, hey, if you've been married for a year, go ahead and have a seat. Now, if you've been married for two years, go ahead and have a seat. And this goes on, right? Five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20, 30, 40, and he gets to 50. And there are two couples left. My wife and I, because we got to dance through the whole thing. <laughs> and her grandparents. They'd been married for more than 50 years. And it was cheesy and it was cliche, but I would be lying if I told you I didn't tear up. Because they practiced slow and steady faithfulness all the days of their lives. They knew that they were sent right where they were. They were sent to each other, and the floodwaters did come. They endured great tragedies. They suffered great loss. They had great joys. They had kids and grandkids. And in the midst of some of the suffering, in the midst of some of those tragedies that many of you in the room know very well, at the heart of who they were and who they are. They know God has sent them exactly where they are. And because of their slow and steady faithfulness, I met the love of my life. We've been together for 10 years now, got married uh, 2015. You see, great change doesn't always happen overnight. There's not always some large battle and, and this, this huge moment that's sort of defining for culture. Sometimes it is slow and steady faithfulness, practicing just being sent exactly where you are. And so I really want us to think this morning, think about where you are in your life. Think about the people you see. Think about the places you visit. Is it possible in your little circuit for all the days of your life you could choose three people in your little circuit and bless them each week. Can you choose three people in your little circuit to share a meal with each week? In your little circuit, can you find ways to learn about who Christ is and to share that with the people in your circuit, however small your circuit might be? And as you're walking the same roads, walking with the same people to the same towns all the days of your life, is it possible to quiet out the noise and to listen to the Holy Spirit, to know that each of us is sent right where we are? Because some of the people in our circuits, they might not have any other expression of Christ in their life. You might be it. 
They might not have any other display of the gospel in their entire lives. We might be it. God may have chosen to send you like he chose to send Samuel all the days of his life, Bethel, Gilgal, Mitzvah, and home. All in a little tiny radius. So the challenge this morning, do you know that you're sent? Whatever your circuit might be, whether you grew up in Zealand your entire life, that's wonderful. Do you know that you're sent? And has it made a difference in your relationships with others? As you travel from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah and back home, we are a sent people. And we know that because Jesus was sent. And what's wonderful is he gives this example because we don't have to be sent perfectly, but Christ came as a baby. And he walks with us, he talks with us, he knows us, he shares meals with us. Like Christ, we are a sent people. And through slow and steady faithfulness in our little circuits, we can bring about gospel change in the lives of many. Let's pray. God, we thank you that this story that took place 3,000 years ago is as relevant today as it, as it was then. And we thank you that you know better than us and that when the floodwaters came, you are the one who sins. Even today, as the floodwaters envelop your people day by day, week by week, year after year, you have sent your son to walk with us and to tread water with us in those floods. So God, I ask for each of us, myself included, to make known the circuits that you have sent us on, whether it's Bethel, Gilgal, Mitzvah, and home, or thousands of miles away. Father, help us to know that we are a sent people. Help us to bless others. Help us to open a space at our table for others. Help us to learn about your son and help us to hear your spirit as we are sent. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness, and that even when we have chosen the, the floodwaters, you are relentless in your love for us. Father, ready our hearts as we celebrate the birth of your son. because you know what it is to lose everything as you have given everything for us. So ready our hearts as we celebrate the coming of Christ and ready our hearts as we wait in eager anticipation for Christ to come again because he came, he lived his life for us and he gave his life for us and he raised from the dead for us. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, now and forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There we go. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Let's give God thanks one more time for the beautiful musicianship, the talent.
and for having created music in the first place. Uh, let's, let's stand. Our benediction is going to be a little bit different uh, this morning. Last week, we had our, our, our children's Christmas celebration, and at the end of the service, because children are image bearers and reflectors of Christ, uh, the children led us as uh, in a benediction and shared words of the Lord with us. So let's, uh, from last week, we just wanted to share in some of that. The video is going to be on the screen. Okay, I want you to put your hands in the air like this, and then repeat after me. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. And keep you. And keep you. Make his face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance. That's the look on God's face. Toward you. And smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, Amen. Now turn to them and say, Go with and in the peace of Christ. Go with and in the peace of Christ.